trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, life is a never-ending quest for clarity. And we live in a time where you got to exert yourself if you're going to have clarity. Now, thankfully, there are voices out there that uh, help in that pursuit. Case in point, my friend Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos is one of them. Eric, welcome to the show. Good to catch up with you. Well, thanks, Brian. Uh, though I'm not sure what I should do. I'm kind of standing here waiting to be told what to do by a bureaucrat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is there are a lot of people who've been trained into not trusting themselves. In fact, I, I got to pull this up. I looked at a, a, There was a quote that I saw earlier today from um, Immanuel Kant, of all people. Yeah. And, and yep. he, he talks about a thing called um, nonage. Are you familiar with this term? Have you heard this before? You know, I remember that from college philosophy, but run, run through it for me again, if you would. Okay, so here's the, the gist of what he said was he said, nonage is the inability to use one's own understanding without another's guidance. And he says this yeah. nonage is self-imposed if its cause lies not in lack of understanding, but rather in indecision and lack of courage to use your own mind without another's guidance. Yes. Yes. In other words, learned passivity, just, you know, being inert, unwilling to exercise your brain, your thinking noodle, and uh, form a judgment and then act on it without waiting to be told what to do, which unfortunately is becoming characteristic of Americans. Isn't that the truth? And, and it's so many ways, too. Uh, you know, there's a lot of information that's dropping on any given day about, oh, I don't know, people dying suddenly and whatnot. But there, there's a very large cadre of people who still wait for, well, there's got to be some official pronouncement that'll tell me whether I can believe this or not, as if they can't believe yeah, their it's own not eyes. news unless it's been officially endorsed. You know, it doesn't matter if the evidence is right in front of your face. You know, you, you won't, a lot of people will not accept it as truth unless they've been told that it's truth by, by MSNBC. Right. Well, and, and, and the attitude that comes along with that is, hey, if there really was anything wrong, they would tell us about it. <laughs> you know, I, the piece that I, uh, that you and I talked about a little bit off air that I wrote that gets into this using just one example, this, this, this passivity, this waiting to be told. Uh, and assuming that whatever you're told is absolutely correct and true, a good way to understand that uh, is the way they are now using what they call pilot cars to shepherd people through what used to be very straightforward work zones where, you know, one lane would be closed because they were fixing potholes or paving it or whatever it was, and there'd be cones. It was very obvious. Okay, you just you, you, you wait until the guy standing there waves you, and you go through, and that's the end of it. Now you have to wait until the pilot car comes around and then leads you through the work zone because the the presumption is that people are that addled, that incompetent, that helpless, that they can't go through something like that without knocking over cones, running <laughs> over construction workers, or doing some other thing, in which case it kind of begs the question, why do we even bother giving driver's licenses to people? No, that's it's a good point. But it's the, the fact is people have to choose to surrender their own judgment. And I think you've been, you and I have talked about this before. One of the great tests is you pull up to a traffic light at 3 o'clock in the morning and there's nobody around. Do you sit there for minutes on end? Maybe it's it's one of those lights that just doesn't recognize you're there. Um, how long are yep. you willing to sit there before you will finally say, you know what, it's okay for me to go. There's nobody coming. Exactly. I, I well, thought, and, you know, people have been, they've been habituated to this. Kids come up. 
uh, and they're taught by driving instructors that what you're supposed to do is just obey the rules, period, whatever it is, and irrespective of whether in a particular situation it makes no sense to obey the rules. It's stupid to obey the rules. You obey the rules. And the mentality that that fosters and encourages is this passivity of people who've surrendered their, 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 their judgment, uh, surrendered their initiative, and who've become, in a way, really child, you know, like, like children, but not even that. It's, it's such a degraded state because even children, normal children, will ask why. When, you know, when, some, when an adult asks them to do something, the normal child will say, well, how come? Why should I? And then the parent will explain why. And if it makes sense, then the kid's own judgment will probably go, you know, yeah, I see your point. Okay, I'm going to do it that way. As opposed to simply do what you're told because somebody tells you to do it. And it's interesting how thoroughly conditioned people have become to see anyone who doesn't click their heels and, you know, just do what the rules <laughs> say as, as they're selfish, they're dangerous. We, we can't have that. And also the, the anger that wells up when people see that. You know, we all saw that during the height of the mask parade when uh, the masked people who saw somebody who was not obeying the rules, uh, they re- responded with great anger and furious vengeance toward those people. It wasn't enough for them to go ahead and wear their mask. Uh, they would go out of their way to shame, threaten, harass, do whatever was necessary in their minds uh, to make it known that not following the, the rules was some kind of a moral affront. Hear, hear. Well, I'm grateful for people who showed by example that it's it's okay to think for yourself, although I, I suspect that we are an endangered species and, and possibly, you know, headed for, you know, real endangered status. Well, it's very important for that reason that we have to recover it and defend it, I think. That's even more critical. It used to be uh, the default mindset of Americans to ask questions. You know, you and I grew up watching Bugs Bunny, and, you know, one of the things that made Bugs Bunny such a great cartoon was, you know, what's up, Doc? You know, Bugs was always suspicious of authority, and, and, and he, would look at, uh, he would look at silly authority, and he would defy it. And that was the characteristic of Americans once upon a time. And now that whole thing has been completely upended. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the model American citizen now is literally a buying sheep who just sits there in the field going, waiting to be waiting for the shepherd to tell me what to do. Okay, so let me ask you this, Eric, because I, I know you're good at identifying the problem, but I think you also identify the solution pretty well. What what can a person do to bolster their confidence in uh, in in being able to think for themselves and exercise their mind without someone surveilling or directing them? Well, it's you know it's what they used to teach kids: uh, logic and rhetoric. You know, examine reality, look at the facts, and then weigh them. It's pretty straightforward. You know, we know if it's raining outside, gee, I should probably put on a raincoat because if I don't, I'm going to get wet. It's just basic, uh, you know, basic deductive and inductive reasoning that God gave us the ability to do. And any of us can do this. You just, you know, you examine the facts. You don't wait to be told what to do. And if somebody does tell you what to do, the first thing that should pop up into your mind is why? Why ought I to do it? And to not be satisfied until you get an answer as to why, not just because I said so. Uh, and even worse, if they say we're going to you know, punish you if you don't, we need to rebel against that attitude. That is the, the attitude of a slave in the field, not a free people. And it does take some actual courage because the pressure will be brought to bear. I mean, 
you know, just simply disagreeing with somebody or asking, well, why do you want me to do this is going to bring out the, the inner chimpanzee for some people. Mm-hmm. And so you've you got to have thick enough skin to, to be able to, to withstand being criticized and to stand your ground when someone is telling you, but you have to. Yep. And actually, an interesting thing that I've discovered personally, and I think other people have discovered is, as well, is the power of saying no. These bullies uh, expect people to fold and to submit and to not stand up to them. And when you do say, no, I'm not doing that, a lot of times they'll back right down. You know, they're relying on social pressure. And when you do it as an individual, you give strength to other people in your orbit who've seen you do it or who are aware that you're doing it, see that you did it. And, uh, and have, as they say, gotten away with it, and it encourages <laughs> them to do the same. And before you know it, you know, you build up kind of a, a kinetic energy. It's exactly the same thing that the woke leftists and all of these others who are behind all of the nefarious things going on have used against us. Uh, you know, they've built up this crescendo of pressure. And so uh, the way to deal with that pressure is to apply equal and opposite pressure in the other direction. Here, here. Now, I, I have to ask, how did you develop that? I, I don't know that this is something that just comes innately to people. Um, what, are, what are some of the things you use to develop that skill? You know, that's a really interesting question. I, you know, I remember my own childhood and being a very self-directed and independent kind of a kid. But, of course, I grew up in the negligent 70s when uh, kids were basically free range and went out. I remember uh, just after school, you jumped on your bike and you were gone by yourself or with your friends for hours. And you were exploring the world and, and, and checking things out and doing whatever you wanted to do. And that fostered that sense of independence. In fact, you know, we've talked about how bike riding uh, at, for our generation led to car driving, how we, you know, we saw how cool it was uh, to be able to go wherever we wanted to go on our bicycles. And we looked at cars and thought, gee, man, I could, you know, I could go a lot farther uh, if I had a car. And so you started thinking about having a car probably when you were 13 or 14 years old and were just champing at the bit to get one. Here, here. And it's it's the kind of thing that carries over into adulthood. And again, I know some people are going to say, well, that's just irresponsible. You're, you just think you're a law unto yourself. But no, there's a difference between self-governance and uh, and someone who is, you know, a psychopath out there just wreaking havoc yeah, on well, society. It's the most, actually, you know, it is the most responsible thing in the world to be responsible and to be responsible for yourself. Uh, you know, that is a way of defining what an adult is as opposed to a child. Children look for guidance to adults. Hopefully the adults give them proper guidance, but a point comes when a child becomes an adult. And the thing that defines an adult is the ability to exercise judgment without being parented. If you're being parented as an adult, then you're kind of an overgrown child, aren't you? Hold that thought. We'll be back with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm talking with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, I know that uh, the balloon was on a lot of people's minds this (laughs) last week. Now, I have to ask you this. Um... Was it a legit issue or was it a major misdirection and, and distraction? Because I'm torn on that issue. Well, I think it's both, obviously. You know, it's another thing that keeps us uh, from talking about some of the real problems here at home. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, it's an interesting example of the, the dissonance. Uh, and an example of the dissonance is that we're supposed to be obsessed with 
the uh, the violation uh, of Ukraine's borders by Russia, but our borders are wide open, and who cares about that? No worries about that, right? True. Uh, and true. We're, we're you know we're not worried about a foreign power, a hostile foreign power, flying what is apparently some kind of a surveillance balloon wherever they want to go. You know, no problem, fly it over wherever you like. Whereas if a private pilot straight off course anywhere near, say, D.C. airspace, they would have sent up the F-16s and probably shot the guy down. And it was interesting, too, the the trajectory that that balloon followed. You know, um, it, it seemed to track right across where a lot of our nuclear missile silos are. And, you know, I don't know. I assume China has some fairly sophisticated ways of, of uh, conducting their, uh, you know, surveillance of what's going on in the world. But the obviousness of it... And the eeriness of it, I, I just, I can't decide if it was uh, legit or if it was, you know, something put up to get our minds off Pfizer, you know? Well, it's, it's implicitly threatening, and I'm glad you brought up Pfizer, because this could be a, a delivery mechanism for uh, some sort of a biological agent. You know, how better to do that? In fact, there's a precedent for it in that, and you probably know about this, toward the end of, the, of World War II, the Japanese did the same thing. Uh, in, in that they, they launched these high-altitude balloons, and they, I think, fitted them with incendiary bombs. And their idea was they were going to have these balloons drop the incendiary bombs over uh, the Pacific Northwest and other areas and create these massive wildfires that would be uh, damaging to the U.S. Well, you could also fill the thing up with, I don't know, uh, Ebola, whatever you want to fill it up with, and, right. and drop it over drop it over America. The fact is that you know whatever they were up to, it was allowed. They allowed this thing to just traverse the entire United States before they finally got around to shooting it down, I think, over the coast of South Carolina. It's an astounding thing. It, the Yeah, the timing and the, the reasoning for, well, you know, we didn't want to, you know, shoot it down for fear that, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of open space out there in Montana. There's a lot of places sure. where that stuff could come down and, and nobody would ever know. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fatuous. You know, that's like saying, okay, they weren't going to, so if I flew a Cessna over, uh, over the Capitol, they're not going to shoot me down because they're worried about the debris coming down. Yeah, hardly. Well, I now you know, like you and I talked about off the air. I, this was just a totally kind of snarky remark, but I think it would be hilarious if Trump were still the president, and and you could make some gigantic uh, a balloon in the shape of his his orange face, and then send that back over China. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I. I sometimes wonder if, if maybe we're, we're being steered towards, you know, let's whip up some anti-China hysteria to go along with the anti-Russia hysteria. Yeah. And uh, this much I do know, if it comes from an official source, if it comes from legacy media, if it comes from some government spokesman, named or unnamed, I usually can't trust it. Well, yeah, this is a, this is a pervasive problem. I was, I was talking with uh, my girlfriend earlier about this, how we are now at a point where there is such pervasive corruption of all the institutions that you really cannot at face value trust a thing these people say. The U.S. federal government is as or more untrustworthy than the government of communist China. And that says a lot about the condition that we find ourselves in. Here, here. And again, this just kind of illustrates the need to to be able to, to think and sift fact from fiction for yourself. But, uh, you know, people have to People have to be willing to take on that responsibility and, and, and trust their own judgment. You can learn to, to think for yourself and you don't need, you know, some blow-dried spokesperson to, to tell you this is what it actually means. Absolutely. It's, it's so easy to do this. You know, people may remember at the very beginning of the pandemic when they were talking about how people are going to, bodies are going to start stacking up like cordwood everywhere. 
And you may remember that I went out actually and, and went to the local hospital, which is a big regional hospital. And I, you know, I just looked at it to see there are no bodies stacking up. You know, the, the evidence of my eyes, as opposed to what I'm being told by the, uh, as Don Henley put it, bubble-headed bleach blonde on TV. <laughs> Ah, that's a phrase I haven't heard for a while, but it's so fitting. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's shift gears here for a moment. I want to talk about uh, your recent article on uh, uh, weighty matters, and, and particularly as it applies <laughs> yeah. to, to EVs. T- tell me about that. Yeah, you know, we hear constantly about how concerned, how very concerned the federal government is, the regulatory apparatus, about our safety They use that word all the time to justify these regulations that they hurl down upon us. Well, I wonder why they aren't very concerned about the the safety consequences in a very negative way of pushing electric cars onto the market. And what I mean by that is that electric cars are massively heavy. To give you a sense of just how heavy, one of the lightest ones is the Chevrolet Bolt, which is a tiny little car. It's smaller than a Hyundai Accent. The thing weighs almost 3,600 pounds. Wow. The accent weighs about 26, so it's nearly 1,000 pounds of difference. Now, remember your high school physics, force equals mass times acceleration. So this heavier vehicle, when it hits another vehicle, is going to cause more physical damage to the car, and it's more likely to result in personal injury to the people in the car. These are physical facts, and they scale. It gets worse when you move up the food chain and look at something like the Ford Lightning, the electric pickup truck. That thing weighs three tons plus. It's something like 6,500 pounds. And if you get hit by one of these things, it's going to cream you. And apparently there's just no worries about it. Don't worry. It'll be fine. You also mentioned in your article that uh, the the battery-driven electric vehicles have presented a unique challenge to, to firefighters because vehicles do catch fire from yeah. time to time. And a battery fire is very different than, you know, a standard car catching on fire. Yeah, it's a chemical fire. It's much more difficult to put out. And even when you put it out, it can spontaneously uh, erupt again. Now, uh, the, the, the thing that I pointed out in the article is that not only is this a physical threat, it's also a financial threat. And we're all going to be paying more for it in the form of increased insurance costs. The insurance companies are not going to eat these costs. They're going to pass them along to everybody in the form of higher insurance premiums. And thanks to the wonderful fact that we can't say no to the insurance mafia, we're, we're, we're kind of in a bad position. We're, we're, we're forced to uh, pay what they tell us to pay, else we will uh, not be legal to operate our vehicles on government roads anymore. Yeah, and I hadn't even considered, again, something else you point out in this article, um, when it comes to brakes and tires, that extra weight yep. takes a toll on your vehicle and how quickly those components wear. Yeah, really big toll as regards tires. They wear out about 20% faster uh, in the electric car because, again, the electric car is much heavier. That weight bears down upon the tires, and the tires have to do more work, and they wear faster. So, you know, you'll hear on the one hand, oh, you're going to save so much money by driving an EV. You won't have to pay for engine oil and filter changes anymore. Yeah, but you're going to have to buy tires a whole lot more often. And if you price how much a set of new tires costs, it's a whole lot more than, than an oil and filter change. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just just laid out a cool thousand for a new set of tires. Yep. It uh, it smarts, but well, you know, again, I understand people are infatuated with you know the car of the future, the EV. But man, I'm telling you, the the more I look at it, the more I see this seems like it it comes at a corresponding cost in personal freedom and mobility, and I'm not willing to pay that price. Well, that and also as far as the infatuation, they're infatuated because they have been misled about it. 
very much in the way that people were misled about these so-called vaccines that don't immunize people. If people had been told, look, you take this drug, but you know, you're still going to get the Rona. Uh, it's not going to prevent you from getting it, and it's not going to prevent you from spreading it. How many people would have agreed to take it? Right. right. You know, and the same, if people knew the, the whole story about electric cars, I think they'd be a whole lot less infatuated with electric cars. Well, California is the perfect example. Mandate that you have to buy one and then tell you, by the way, don't uh, charge your vehicle. There's a power shortage. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. You know, I just actually wrote an article. It's just It just went live a little while ago that gets into some of the things that they're not telling people about electric cars. So if people are interested in that, it's fair and objective. I try my best to do that. It's not me just ranting on electric cars because I don't personally like them. I'm pointing out some of the actual specific uh, irrefutable facts about them that they're not telling people. Okay, I've got a link to his website. It's ericpetersautos.com. Eric, great to catch up with you as always. I look forward to our next conversation. Ditto, Brian. Me too. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks once again for joining us today. I do want to mention my sponsors. They include Monticello College, lifesavingfood.com, Borelli.com, and also TCMP Nation. That would be my friend, John Harvey, host of the Modern Conservative Podcast. I'm going to have John on the show here, hopefully by the end of this week. John is, uh, John's a unique individual, and he is uh, one of the voices out there that I like to give my attention to just because John is very straightforward. You don't have to guess. Now, is he telling us what he really thinks? Um, I, I just appreciate people who are very straightforward. He also makes a ton of sense, so... If you want to check out where he's coming from for yourself, click on the link that I provide in my show notes, TCMP Nation, and uh, you can you can hear John's own show, which is uh, remarkable in and of itself. So, all right, I have a little pep talk for you. And you maybe you need this, maybe you don't. Maybe I'm the one who needs this, but it, it has been very, very clear to me, especially over, oh, I don't know, about the last uh, roughly three decades, that if you are going to stand for something, Okay, in my case, I'm, I'm trying to stand for freedom. I'm trying to stand for private property and freedom of conscience and the free market and so forth. You are going to pay a price for doing so. There is no way around it. There is no way that you can stand for anything at this point without facing some pretty serious opposition. And this is especially true. And I'm, look, I'm, I'm not trying to build either myself or anybody else up as a martyr, but if you're going to stand for things that are true and good, and right, you're especially going to pay a high price. Cancel culture exists for the purpose of keeping people like you quiet or in line or at the very least so intimidated that you don't dare speak up because you're not sure if it's safe. And it doesn't matter if you're a very outspoken public figure. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, just someone trying to live your life, a business owner, whatever. Jack Phillips, I think, is really a good example I saw Tom Woods had actually sent out an email yesterday. Jack Phillips, this is the the cake shop owner in Colorado, had a case went all the way to the Supreme Court about, you will bake the cake. And on, on the grounds of religious freedom, the Supreme Court gave this very narrow defense and said, no, 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 he doesn't have to bake the cake if there's, you know, a freedom of religion issue here. And it, it shocks his conscience. 
And, you know, far be it for me to question the Supreme Court on something, but they were wrong in their ruling because it's, re- it's, it's not just about freedom of religion. It's about private property. Jack Phillips owns that bakery. He is the one who calls the shots as to how many cakes he's going to make and what kind of cakes he's going to make and even who he will do business with. Now, unfortunately, there's a mindset in America, oh, you enter into commerce, man. You have to accommodate everybody and the government makes it their business. You know, and I'm sorry, but that is anathema to private property. So long story short, he won his Supreme Court case, you know, about being forced to bake the cake. But on the very day that he was uh, appealing to the Supreme Court, Another individual, this time a transgender individual, came into his business and uh, demanded that he do a gender reveal cake. And Jack, because of his religious sensibilities, you know, said, I will sell you anything that I have in the shop, but I'm not going to make a special cake celebrating something that I believe is contrary to what, uh, what God would, would want me to use my talents to support. So he's right back in the crosshairs again. They just can't leave him alone. That's what cancel culture is all about. Now, Blaine Pardo is a writer who has experienced this firsthand. And in in my show notes today, you're going to find an article from him called Overcoming the Woke Mob. And it's, I got to tell you, it's it's a very revealing article. He doesn't wallow in self-pity. It's not, oh, look at me, I'm a victim. And, you know, that's the, the whole victimhood thing. I'm a victim, so you have to do what I say. That is a manipulation tool that the left really likes to use. Perhaps you've noticed. Blaine Pardo just simply says, look, here's, here's what it's like. He says, I was the target of the cancel culture mob led by a person against whom I have a protective order. He says, the mob waged a smear campaign against me that ultimately got me fired from a science fiction franchise in which I had written books and stories for over 36 years. And he says, at the time, it was devastating, stressful, nerve-wracking, which it's intended to be. Now, he says, the good news is, in the last six months, I prevailed. The person who attacked me admitted to lying. He says, I picked up a new outstanding publisher. I've solidified my relationships with other publishing houses. In fact, he's on schedule to publish or to release nine books this year alone. So Blaine Pardo says, I'm writing, I'm selling more of my work than ever before. I now have an online interview show, appear regularly on podcasts, talking about politics and my craft, and actually have a much larger audience. But his point is, cancel culture will come at anyone its devotees decide to target. And you do not have to be high profile in order to be targeted. You don't have to be looking for attention to to get the eye of the cancel culture mob. He says anyone's a potential target of their wrath. The good news is the woke mob can be beaten. They're loud, but ultimately they are a minority. So he says, here are a few of the lessons I've learned in this unplanned adventure that may help you if and when you become a target. This is very solid advice. So it may be something you want to tuck away. If you're not in the crosshairs right now, save this for the day when you find yourself facing the mob's wrath. First, he says, don't apologize or attempt to explain anything. The social justice warrior crowd will not accept your clarifications or your apologies. If you respond in any manner, they will intensify their attacks on you. The woke don't care about the truth. They only seek popularity online by attacking others. Don't give them an ounce of credibility by responding to their attacks. He's right, by the way. What they're looking for is a reaction. You deny them the reaction. You're denying them what they really want. Secondly, 
He says, communicate to your constituents. Stick to the facts and nothing more. This isn't about fanning the flames of division. The woke will do that on their own. This is making sure your perspective is clear to the people who actually do care. He says, keep track of conversations, dates, emails, tweets, etc. In other words, keep the receipts. Legal action may be forthcoming. Maybe you should talk to a lawyer about your situation. In the meantime, document your calls, transcribe your conversations, monitor and track what your accusers write about you online. Now, I'm going to add one caveat there. Don't go mining for what people are saying about you uh, to the point that it becomes an obsession. You got to learn to let this stuff roll off your back. And, you know, the best thing I've found is adopt the attitude of what others are saying about me is none of my business. But there may come a point where they cross a line into defamation. That's when you want to make sure you're keeping the receipts. Take uh, necessary legal protections. If you're threatened, engage law enforcement. One thing he points out here is be patient. He says, five different publishers reached out to me in the weeks following my cancellation. Now, it didn't happen fast, but it did happen. A number of fellow authors also engaged with me to assist in whatever manner they could. Some had endured what I had, and they offered useful advice. Here's another big one. Be prepared for the inevitable betrayals. Some supporters and so-called friends will turn on you when you're the target of a cancellation attempt. Now, you're going to be disappointed but you will survive. In some respects, being the target of the woke mob helps you to see who is indeed a true supporter and confidant. And by the way, it's not just the flaming, you know, left-wingers that will turn on you. Anybody who has stood for something at some point has experienced betrayal from people who were once close friends or allies. It happens. It sucks, but it does happen. He talks about controlling the narrative and be wary of who reaches out to you. In fact, he says his stalker spun up fake sock puppet accounts to give the appearance of more enemies and controversy against him. Some tried to befriend him only to immediately use his own social media to attack him. So be cautious about accounts with few followers that were just recently launched. Chances are those accounts belong to the people who've targeted you. And I would add, beware, especially if you are someone who is kind of, you know, a public you know, figure or someone who's, who's out there in the public, Beware of people who will sit there and attack you and attack you and attack you and then graciously offer to come on, you know, to come speak to your audience about uh, where they're really coming from. The point is they don't create an audience of their own. They haven't yet built an audience on their own merits. You don't owe them anything. Blaine Pardo says, don't become a victim. You're the target of an attack. You're not a victim. You're not a victim. So don't go down that path. It's self-destructive. It doesn't move you forward. Pity is fleeting. Righteousness is forever. And finally, he says, this does not define who you are. When you're introduced to people, he says, I tell them I'm a best-selling, award-winning author. I'm a person who likes to tell great stories about extraordinary characters. In other words, being targeted by the woke mob is not a part of how he identifies who he is. And he says, nor should it identify who you are. Just be the best at what you do. Success is the best revenge against those who try to take you out. This is really solid advice. He says, the woke are the byproduct of our participation trophy society. They're individuals who don't contribute in the real world. They only have relevance, relevance rather, online, but they can be overcome and beaten. And hopefully this mindless madness will come to an end. But in the meantime, we all must be prepared for the carnage that they wallow in. Now, again, you may think that you're immune from this. You may think, well, I'm just, you know... I'm just a regular person. I'm not out there. I don't have a blog. I don't have a podcast. I don't have a show of any kind. It doesn't matter. If at some point you actually stand for something or you stand on principle, the mob will come for you. 
So take Blaine Pardo's advice, because this is pretty solid stuff, and he speaks from experience. Also understand, you're not alone, no matter how much the mob may try to make you feel that way. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, three quick articles I want to touch on in this final segment. Let's start with uh, monetary news. Got a great article here about uh, central bank digital currencies. Pick this one up off of, uh, actually, it was it was sent to me via Ruben, who is one of my great sources of information. And this is off of uh, ZeroHedge.com. Daniel LaCalle explains how central bank digital currencies would bring hyperinflation. And look, I'm not trying to sound paranoid, and I hope it doesn't sound too conspiratorial, but it's very clear that the groundwork is being laid. And in fact, there there is a track being laid to get us moved from the dollar to some kind of central bank digital currency. It's being implemented in other places. The stage is being set for it to be implemented, I would assume, worldwide. Maybe it's not all going to be the same currency, but a digital, centrally controlled currency is the absolute pipe dream of people who lust for control. And it's coming. And it's going to be sold to us in the name of convenience. Oh, this is so much safer. And you just use this biometric identifier. Nobody can steal your wallet. Nobody can steal your identity. But the problem is your identity will become a state-granted privilege. And you can quickly become an unperson when your money is programmable or when your money is so digital that it can be taken from you or frozen. Think about what happened to the Canadian truckers about a year ago. Okay, that's the danger of central bank digital currency. I don't know what the answer is, at least entirely. I do know this. If you can't get your money on demand, if you can't hold it in your hands or otherwise uh, control it, it's not really yours. Make of that what you will, but that's the scenario that we're facing. All right, another story. I just saw this video the other day. I I was going to actually play an audio clip, but then I thought, no... No, sure as I do, Disney will claim, hey, that's a that's a violation of our copyright laws. But Disney has actually backed off a little bit on their transgender grooming messaging for kids. And and I suppose that's a good thing. But I've got an article here from Andrea Widberg from AmericanThinker.com. They have doubled down on spreading the gospel of critical race theory. And I guess there was a show back in the early 2000s called Proud Family. And it's... It's an inclusive show. It's a black family, and, you know, it's it's about uh, their adventures and so forth. It's back, but it is so steeped in critical race theory that it's... I, I just caught a little clip of some kind of a protest, and, I mean, it's it, this is... It's like the, the founders of Black Lives Matter must have written this because kids are chanting about, you know, riot police, and, and you know, there's... There's a character, and his his homosexual lover is white, and they're calling on him, use your white privilege to make these police stand down, and so forth. This is Disney. This is aiming at kids. And yet people try to tell us, well, this is, there's nothing wrong with this, or there's not really such a thing as critical race theory out there. There is. It's targeting young minds, and it's it's as insidious and it's as divisive as it sounds. I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound like a Luddite, but I think the people who turn their backs on 
popular culture are likely to be happier in the long run. I have I didn't watch the Grammys the other night, but I have seen over and over people posting short clips of uh, what had to be one of the most satanic numbers performed there. I mean, literally, it's a couple of non-binary individuals dressed as devils having some kind of a who knows what kind of orgy as they're singing this song called Unholy. It's just right out there in the open. And it is aimed especially at those younger minds. Unplugging may be one of the wisest choices that you make. We're, we're to the point where, where wickedness is so open and so in your face, it's not even trying to hide its goals. All right. Last but not least, I wanted to share a few thoughts with you from James Howard Kunstler. This is the no-crap assessment of what's going on geopolitically. And few people cut through that official misinformation fog like Kunstler does. He describes it as a lose-lose scenario. Starts with a quote from Hugo Dionisio. The White House has taken the entire West in such a direction and speed of triumphalism, arrogance, and egregious imbecility that there's no going back or reversal possible without a total defeat of the official narrative and the consequent eternal shame. That sounds about right. Now, James Howard Kunstler says the New York Times, indicted this week as a chronic purveyor of untruths by no less than their supposed ally, the Columbia Journalism Review, is lying to you again this morning. And he's got a headline from them. Washington, the number of Russian troops killed and wounded in Ukraine is approaching 200,000, a stark symbol of just how badly President Vladimir V. Putin's invasion has gone, according to American and other Western officials. Now, James Howard Kunstler says, look, this whopper is an artful diversion from the reality on the ground that Ukraine is just about finished in this tragic and idiotic conflict staged by the geniuses behind their plaything president, Joe Biden. By the way, he says it's not a coincidence that Ukraine and Joe Biden are both going down at the same time. The two organisms are symbionts, a matched pair of mutual parasites feeding off each other, swapping each other's toxic exudations and growing delirious on their glide path to a late winter crash. The point of the war, <clears throat> you recall, is to weaken Russia, or so says De 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 Department of Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, even to bust it up into little geographic tatters to our country's advantage, that is to retain America's dominance in global affairs and especially the supremacy of the U.S. dollar in global trade arrangements. But the result of the war so far has been the opposite of that objective. U.S. sanctions made Russia stronger by shifting its oil exports to more reliable Asian customers kicking Russia out of the swift global payment system prompted the BRIC countries to build their own alternative trade settlement system. Cutting off Russia from trade with Western Civ has stimulated the process of import replacement. In other words, Russia making more of the stuff it used to buy from Europe. Confiscating Russia's offshore dollar assets has alerted the rest of the world to dump their dollar assets, especially U.S. Treasury bonds, before they too get mugged. Nice going, Victoria Newland, Tony Blinken, and the rest of the gang at the Foggy, foggy Bottom Genius Factory. All of which raises the question, who is liable to bust up into tatters first, the USA or Russia? Kunstler says, I recommend to you Dmitry Orlov's seminal work, Reinventing Collapse, the Soviet Experience and American Prospects, revised and updated. For anyone out there not paying attention the past 30-odd years, Russia, incorporated as the Soviet Union, collapsed in 1991. 
The USSR was a bold experiment based on the peculiar and novel ill effects of industrialism, especially gross economic inequality. Alas, the putative remedy for that advanced by Karl Marx was a despotic system of pretending that individual humans had no personal aspirations of their own. The Soviet Marxist business model was eventually reduced to the comic aphorism, we pretend to work, they pretend to pay us. It failed, and the USSR gurgled down history's drain. Now Russia emerged from the dust, minus many of its Eurasian outlands, Remarkably little blood was shed in the process. Mr. Orlov's book points to some very interesting setups that softened the landing. There was no private property in the USSR, so when it collapsed, nobody was evicted or foreclosed from where they lived. Very few people had cars in the USSR, so the city centers were still intact. People could get around on buses, trams, and trains. The food system had been botched for decades by low-incentive collectivism. But the Russian people were used to planting family gardens, even city dwellers, who had plots out of town, and it tided them over during the years of hardship before the country managed to reorganize. Now compare that to America's prospects. He says in an economic crisis, Americans will have their homes foreclosed out from under them or will be subject to eviction from rentals. The USA has been tragically built on a suburban sprawl template that will be useless without cars and with little public transport. Cars, of course, are subject to repossession for non-payment of contracted loans. The American food system is based on manufactured microwavable cheese snacks, also chicken nuggets and frozen pizzas produced by giant companies. These items can't be grown in home gardens. Many Americans don't know the first thing about growing their own food or what to do with it after it's harvested. He goes into some other aspects here. There were two, though, that I thought were really worth mentioning. He says, as for culture... Consider that the two biggest cultural producers in this land are the pornography and video game industries. Now, the drug business might be a close third, but most of that action is off the book, so it's hard to tell. So much for the so-called arts. Our political culture verges on totally degenerate, but that's too self-evident to belabor. And the generalized management failures of our polity are a big part of what's bringing us down, particularly the failure to hold anyone in power accountable for their blunders and turpitudes. This unearned immunity might change at least a little bit as the Oppositional House of Representatives commences hearings on an array of disturbing matters. Meanwhile, he says, be wary of claims in the New York Times and other propaganda organs that our Ukraine project is coming up a big win and that racketeering operations of the Biden family amount to an extreme right-wing white supremacist conspiracy theory. Kunstler says these two pieces of the conundrum known as reality are blowing up in our country's face. And it's going to be hard not to notice. So if, like me, you prefer hard reality to comfortable truths, well, hang on. Our time is coming. But it's going to be a bit of a bumpy ride, so might want to buckle up. This is The Brian Hyde Show.